everybody. Francis here. <laughs> With Jeanette. Jeanette. I'm gonna time how long it takes you to drag out everybody. Cause I'm sure it gets longer each time. This episode, we're gonna talk about <laughs> something that makes me uncomfortable. And it also mm. makes you, Jeanette, uncomfortable, and it's actually very much. Yeah, and it's also one of the three things that we should never talk about in polite society, right? The three things being sex, death, and money. So we're not going to be talking about sex, money, 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 or money, death, money, 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 money. but we uh-huh. will be talking about money, and it's really important for us, or really for me. As a freelancer, because you actually are on salary now, Jeanette. But still, it applies to you. Yeah, it did. It may apply in the future. That's true. And it's the issue of how much to charge. Because, you know, as much as it's nice to say that we're doing this because we love it, we are also doing this to feed ourselves. Yeah. It's our day job, everyone. It is. Believe it or not. So... I know. I thought I'd start off by asking you, why is this so uncomfortable? Nobody likes to talk about money because you don't want to put a value on yourself. In one way, it feels bad because you're like, if you put too high a price on yourself, then you feel like you're bragging or you think too highly of yourself. So that makes you uncomfortable. It's the whole kind of boasting about oneself aspect of it. And then two, like to judge yourself by money is not clear. Like, it's, it's never really clear. Like, um, how, how do you mean not clear? I mean, if you go through daily life and you put a monetary value on your time, how many people can actually do well, that? How many he, people can... Here's why I think I'm asking this question, because a lot of people do that. Lawyers do that and have no problem doing it. You know, business people really value their time and have no problem putting a monetary value on their time. I feel like anyone in the arts, however, we have a horrible guilt issue about even thinking about money. Yeah, it's kind of a cultural thing. And why is that? Is it a a cultural thing? thing? I I think so. I think it, it definitely is a social thing about how important people think that the arts are. If you need a lawyer, you need a lawyer, right? Like, mm-hmm. you need to win a lawsuit, you're getting sued, or something. It's, it's like, pretty serious business. But um, to hire a musician, usually it's kind of not really thought about. And you're like, oh, I guess we should pay these people. Yeah. Well, could we just give them a meal? I've always run across the problem that, and I think everyone does, is that society doesn't really value music the way that we value music yeah. for us it's a life or death thing we can't imagine life without music it's just so even if we weren't playing it it would always be something that enriches our lives and and, and brings us something that we can't get in normal life but um most people don't view music as that important mm. <laughs> it's it's like a a, a nice little pastime but that's why money feels it feels like we're always getting handouts at least in my opinion it feels like that and that like to say that my time is worth this much it does help to have a societal um uh already assumption that they would pay you yeah you know like i always feel like i have to validate it 
<laughs> which is something that really annoys. It's exhausting, but it's also annoying to like validate what you do exactly. to other people so they'll pay you. Exactly. Yeah. Or even to think, make people think that what you're doing is an actual job. Yeah, yeah. Because for mean, most people, it's a hobby. <laughs> and I think it also comes from, at least in my experience, is when you're learning to play music, you're constantly playing for free. Like, you know, y- mm-hmm. you're you're seven years old and your parents make you play for the family, you know? Yeah. And then it just becomes this thing where people around you th- are so used to he- hearing you for free that <laughs> they can't comprehend the fact that I don't want to work. I mean, this is another issue um, that I want to transition to is that the other thing about making people understand that music is a job is like when friends and family asks you to do something because they're so used to you being a minor and getting you to do it for free and then suddenly they think you're making a big stink when you get asked to play a wedding a family wedding and I'm like no way am I doing that you know (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that is a tricky situation when when you have friends asking to do something. Because I guess a parallel would be like if you asked a family member that's a doctor for some medical advice. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of the reason is, is that, you know, if I'm going to a wedding, I want to be at that wedding. I don't want to think about having to play something, right? Even if it's yeah. just like two minutes in a service... Your brain's in a different place. You can't be involved in what's happening, you know? Plus, your family, often family is there if they're asking you, so they'll be judging you even on, like, a throwaway thing. It's just stupid because you're not going to practice for exactly. it. Exactly. But, but, I mean, it's just also I, I've been forced to play for a family funeral, which I didn't feel like doing, but I just had to do it just because familial pressure. And right. it's just, it's the same feeling of, I never got to really be part of the funeral in a way that because I had to compartmentalize. I had to be focused enough to play. But at the same time, you're an essential part of the funeral. I think I, I have a, a slightly different opinion about this from you. I mean, I yeah, I understand the annoyance factor. And yeah, I mean, I feel like... Um, I don't I don't get that bothered when people ask me to play for like a wedding ceremony or a funeral. I understand that it's annoying to have to like kind of perform when you just want to be in the audience or if you just want to be like a participant in the other way but at the same time like i i feel more honored i guess that they would ask maybe that's a different of a relationship i guess i think it's a like, yeah different relationship it's always you know it's usually because i'm guilted into doing it yeah, yeah, no, and I totally understand it. Like, that makes a lot of sense. And especially with the funeral, it's really more like, I don't know about you, but I compartmentalize to not get emotionally involved in what's happening so that I can be emotionally present for what I'm playing, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, no, it makes sense. Yeah. I, I, I don't do that, but I understand what you Yeah, saying. because yeah. it's just how I deal with performance. Um, right. And so because that's how I do it, for the funeral Mm. that I had to play, it was more like it was just another gig rather than a funeral for someone. 
you know, to, to mourn. I see. So it removed you. So from it actually, actually being, removed yeah. me from, and I feel like any any professional sort of does that. Like a doctor will not be thinking about all the medical processes of some of their loved one who died. Right? They're going to be thinking about the loved one. Does that matter? Yeah. Um, no, it makes sense. I think I don't know if everyone feels that way. I I think a lot of us are pretty awkward in in social situations like a funeral or a wedding, and so I'm I'm grateful for like being able to express something not with words because I feel really awkward doing that. Anyways, like to, yeah. you know, like the worst things are like expressing sympathy in a card or like, that's true. I yeah, yeah. I mean, I understand what you're saying too. What I'm trying to get at is that especially with friends or family that it's almost like a requirement and that you're almost always guilted into doing it that it's not a meaningful thing that if it was a meaningful thing that i chose to play something that Mm -hmm. for someone at any event that's a different story which is what i think you're talking about what i'm talking about is the familial guilt that's laid on you to say you have to play when really, I don't want to play. No, I totally get it. Yeah, I mean, like, in general, I'm happy. If 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 I do get asked to play in a family gathering, I'm happy to offer that as my... But I think, yeah, I mean, it's not so much... Like, somebody might ask, but it's not like a aim position so much as a... Oh, I, this is what I can do. This is what I can offer. I can't give money. I can't give, like, assistance in any other way, but I can do this. Yeah. And, like, it's valued. But my my problem with it is that, like, when you're performing in those situations, sometimes it becomes not about the, situ- about the actual event, but it becomes, like, you're so used to playing and having people compliment you as the performer. And so I always worry about that. Like, I always worry about, like, making it not about the event yeah yeah that that really because it's it's that's uncomfortable that's uncomfortable but the bottom line is is that whenever we do things like that i feel like we cheapen ourselves that we don't um that we don't put value on our time and the work that we put in even if you're not practicing it's still work that you're doing is that because when people ask you, they're not grateful enough or appreciative enough? It has nothing to do with gratitude. Or gr- it's, okay. It's like, it's one thing to ask a doctor for medical advice, right? When they're off the clock. All right. And it's just like a five minute. They tell you, oh, you should probably go see blah, blah, blah. And it's probably harmless, right? But it's another yeah. thing to ask them for an hour physical checkup when they're off the clock, Right. Yeah, so you're saying they so, wouldn't. Yeah, so doctors would do never do that, even if they were asked to. Right. But we musicians do that all the time. Because I think I think um, think what you're getting at is that we lack that boundary of like setting. We lack that boundary, but also people don't see that boundary. And well, yeah, and exactly. exactly. And every yeah. time we give into that and blur that boundary, it then cheapens what we do which then makes it harder for us to think about money and to charge money for what we do. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, and that's exactly what goes into the society has to be convinced. And so it's like, oh, they don't... That always pisses me off. It always pisses anyone off that like the inherent things that we think 
of in terms of value is not shared by everyone. And so you're constantly dealing with the fact that they don't see things from that perspective. They don't give you that respect or that value. And it is frustrating. Um, and if you start getting bothered by it, then it's an endless battle, I think. Um, everyone's going to have to face it, right? Yeah. Like, like, we're in a profession which there's no way that the hours that we put in can ever be matched monetarily. Like, mm-hmm. it's just, it's one of the biggest disparities. It's like, think about, like, for example... I get paid a salary for, I guess, um, the amount of hours I spend at work performing, those sorts of things, rehearsing, performing, doing admin tasks. But am I getting a salary for all the practice hours I put in, all the times that I spend at home learning these exactly. notes and working for those? Those are never counted. No. Yeah. And so you think about how many hours you spent toward one recital, like countless hours, like it just you can't count them because it's like multiple hours a day in addition to all the preparation that goes into the recital just rehearsal wise and then or just in the performance space all the work like how would you count that but then what our fee is reflects like like a week's amount of work maybe Mm -hmm. if any yeah yeah or a couple of days, I don't know. Or just the time of the recital itself. Like, oh, we get paid for two hours. Which is not reflective of, like, 16 hours of preparation. Exactly. For example, yeah. yeah. That, this is when I wish we were more like lawyers, when we could bill every working hour, you know? <laughs> yeah, we run into that problem because the thing with um, being in a business is they, they count the amount of hours that you're in the office and, you know, what's a work week mm-hmm. for every employee. And it's different for someone who's nine to five. Right? Yeah. And so at some point, um, they were talking about having us log our hours. And it's just like, first of all, one, that's that's hard to do because one day I might practice 16 hours, one day I might practice two. Yeah. But the other thing is, is that practicing this. This is a point Teresa brought up that I think is really important to keep in mind. Practicing requires a lot of focus concentration that makes that one hour hour of work really different from filing for like an mm-hmm. hour. It's just different. It, yeah. It's it's more concentrated and then you just can't go straight from nine to five doing that. You need to have breaks. Like physically, we're going to hurt ourselves if we don't. But also mentally, you can't really sustain that sort of concentration without a couple breaks in between. Mm-hmm. Anyways. But knowing the amount of work that we put in and the value of our time Mm -hmm. here is the next issue how do we know what to charge how do you know what to charge because that's something that i never know me me neither i mean it one it depends on your locale yeah definitely everyone else is charging which is a whole nother problem (laughs) like what everybody else is charging is yeah which (laughs) i was going to ask about later but let's just talk about how do we put a monetary value on what we do how or what's that what's your thought process like for giving out a number i ask a friend what they charge if they've been already doing that work like if i moved to ann arbor and somebody's already teaching and somebody asked me for lessons i ask my friend how much they charge for an hour's worth of lesson a friend that is the same kind of like they're in a doctor program for example yeah. i'm in a doctor program the same sort of like i guess place mm-hmm. in their in their education or whatever on um, the same sort of amount of degrees or education and um and i just go with what they charge 
or like what the I'll ask several friends and I'll go with like the average. With the average, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I <laughs> it's it's like you're in a community. You can't charge more, yeah, than your peers. At the same time, it's really dangerous to charge less. Mm-hmm. Like, um, one, it it undervalues the whole uh, industry. It undervalues the whole process of getting piano lessons. Yeah. Like that brings it all down. And so, you know, everyone flocks to the cheapest ones anyway. So then everyone is forced to lower their rates, which is really bad because they're already low <laughs> comparatively. Like, we need to live. We need to eat. So it's already kind of low compared to that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, what do you think of? How do you? Well, I mean, it? I do the same thing. Of I get an idea of what the general price is for a lesson. One thing that I have done that I don't think you've mentioned is, especially for teaching, anyway. I look at mm-hmm. what like a academy or like a pre college program or um, even like a little guitar store might charge per lesson. Oh, yeah, I've never done yeah, that. Yeah, and just figure out, you know, that's that's the general uh, area, you know, of what the price range is. And then mm-hmm. I determine within that range what I will charge based on my experience. Like, I'll charge more yeah. than that little mom and shop guitar store that has, you know, a closet as a studio. Because you have a doctorate. Yeah, but I will charge less than like a pre-college program because I don't have the benefits of a pre-college program, like a hall or, you know, or chamber music. Oh, see, I've never considered that. Yeah. So that brings up a new kind of topic or um, aspect of this whole thing is that how much do you value yourself? Exactly. Like, psychologically, do you think you're worth the the fee or worth the, the money? And that's that's a huge problem for me. That's something I've always struggled with. It's a huge problem for me, too. Um, especially yeah. in terms of teaching. Yeah, you almost feel like you're never qualified enough. Yeah, it took a long time for me to feel like I wasn't, you know, imposter syndrome. Exactly. I, I think with teaching, I've, I've, I've gained a certain amount of confidence and comfort with it. Yeah. Um, so I'm not as embarrassed as, as I was before. But it, it's like there are times, like if we're going to move away from there's other forms of making money right besides teaching we also play for yeah 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 need a and that's what i was gonna talk about exactly next. yeah but, it's more that issue yeah yeah but yeah it's just you never i also feel more confident and comfortable teaching now and i feel comfortable just saying a number because i feel like i have enough experience teaching private lessons oh i have a, actually a funny story to tell you um so as you know i may have mentioned i have one student here because i do not have the time to have like a thriving piano studio and this is not an area where there are a lot of people who are interested but anyways i have one piano student who is 70 years old (laughs) and she you know i gave i charged her a friend fee which is like it was very reasonable i did not charge her more because she was a friend Mm -hmm. like she was a patron of garden and i was just i was doing it because i liked her not because i wanted money um but um She gave me a raise. Oh, nice. <laughs> she just, one day, she was like, she gave me 150% of what I had asked before, like a significant raise. And I was just like, what is this? Do you want change back? And she's like, no, I am upping your fee because it's the right thing to huh. do. And I was like, oh, this is the rarest of all events. Like, I think you have to get to 70 to do that. 
<laughs> I know it's it's really funny because and it it brings to me like the the thought that yeah I do undercharge always yeah like for for these reasons like oh that person's a friend oh this person can't afford that so I always lower for like a grad student who wants to take lessons and one aspect. Where I think keyboard players always undervalue themselves, <laughs> yes, is whenever we have to play with other people. So either auditions, yeah. competitions, or recitals as an accompanist, and it's always yeah. trying to charge someone for that skill. I think it's the hardest part of our job. Yeah, I mean that's the thing that I've made the most. Uh, that made that's where I made the bulk of my money as a freelancer. I, I mean, if given the option to make my money from teaching or to play for someone, I'd always do that. I'd always play for someone, because um, I mean, teaching is exhausting to me, but playing for people is not. But it's also more fun. But it is difficult because um, I, I mean, I I started out playing for friends for free. I mean, always, and it was fun. But I mean, eventually, like people wanted to pay me. <laughs> And that was hard because when you start out with friends, it's always difficult to actually like, charge your friends. Yeah. Um, and then you've got like rinky dink things. Like I remember like saying to, I think it was my brother. I was just like, I feel stupid charging somebody for something I'm sight reading. And he's like, no, no. Think about the fact that you trained for a long time to be able to get to the point where you can just sight read anything. Exactly. You know? Like, all the years, they're paying for your professional experience mm -hmm. and your, like, training. And that that was a whole new concept to me. I was like, oh, my God, what? I'm lucky in that I have a reputation, I guess. Um, and, I mean, that, that wasn't always there. But um, in many ways, the reputation was a bad thing, too. Because um, I was known as someone that could learn music fast mm -hmm. and therefore people threw a lot of hard pieces at me quickly and I felt like in eventually that was disrespectful to just kind of throw somebody um like so many last I remember one time I was playing for the Yale auditions and some bassoonist asked me if I could play for him right before his audition he was just like oh I didn't know I needed a pianist hey can you play for yeah. me yeah and and my problem is that I'm a pushover, so I was like, sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, that that's the thing is that um, in the end, my complaints about being a companist is because I didn't put my foot down and say, no, you can't do that. Yeah, like, no, that's certainly true. And I mean, that's yeah. sort of the point that I'm trying to make is that that role yeah. is so undervalued that right. it becomes hard for us as keyboard players to then charge for it. Yeah, yeah. It's. I mean, that's that. That brings up the issue that I've always kind of. I have strong feelings about, and I have thoughts about as a as a student, um, is that a lot of things that I was asked to play for free, ended up benefiting me in the future in terms of like the value of other mm -hmm. things like the networking and the, and the connections and, um, the good word, all that stuff, um, but. It's easy, like on the flip side, for someone to get hung up on how much they are worth monetarily. Yeah. Something that is important to keep in mind is that always the person who is paying you or the organization that is paying you, you have to understand where they're coming from as well. Yes. And if somebody is giving you a lot of respect, but they just don't have the funds to pay you a lot, um, 
don't be a dick about it, but also think about what what is the value of that. Mm-hmm. Often it doesn't quite match up. The stupidest gigs I've played have been the ones that have been the most played, but they're like the stupidest gigs. Yeah, <laughs> like no, and we, that's just a good way of going into how do we navigate that uncomfortable conversation of negotiating, right? Because yeah. I feel like you're bringing up two categories. The worst part. Yeah. I but think. you're also bringing up two categories of gigs, right? One that will is not artistically satisfying, but mm-hmm. pays a shitload, and two, yeah. one that is incredibly immensely artistically satisfying, but pays next to nothing. Yeah, and it's just navigating those exactly. kind of gigs, right? So, in a way. I will gladly take a wedding gig where I will charge, you know, seven hundred dollars. Thousand, yeah, thousand per hour. Right. Um, yeah. But go somewhere where the budget is not that big, but it's it's with people or it's an organization that you love that you're perfectly willing to have less money for the artistic satisfaction. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, and that's what we hope mm-hmm. that people think. Um, yeah, th- exactly. There are bullshit gigs that we have to take to pay, <laughs> pave the way for us to do what we really want to do. Yeah. It's, it's funny how it doesn't line up like that, though. Um, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I think that even the stupidest gigs, like playing for somebody's Suzuki Violin recital, because... Yeah, um, I've still found some sort of pleasure in the fact that like those kids would mess up a lot, <laughs> and then you just like it's a game. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh, how how well can I catch them? Ooh, that was a new high exactly. for me. I caught her memory yeah. slip. Like no, and yeah. you're right. Like making kind of artistically unsatisfying gigs satisfying is a lot of fun. Um, but it it does tend to be like playing someone's freaking Christmas party pays so much more than playing some, you know, beautiful piece of music that you find incredibly satisfying to play. Okay, let's go through worst gig experience. Oh my gosh. You start. I, I, I have to... <laughs> I think, okay, here's the worst gig that I can think of. There was... I'm not even going to say what state this was in. Um... There was a church organization who every year put on the Christmas portion of Handel's Messiah, mm-hmm. in which they wanted me to play harpsichord. Mm-hmm. And it was far away, and I went. We had one rehearsal and the show, and it was. Vomit-inducingly bad. (laughs) Um, Which might have been entertaining if somebody did vomit. Yeah, I know. It was just so, like... Imagine church old lady church choirs singing Handel's Messiah with a lot of amateur orchestra string players. Lots of trembling hands. Yeah. Warbling voices. And it was like one of those, oh my God, what is my life? (laughs) (laughs) 
Huh. I know it's it's great to have those moments when you're just like, wait, I thought I was past yeah. this. Yeah, except uh. <laughs> except it paid well. And the, here's the thing: I don't want to come off like I'm bitching about everything because I'm not. Like I'm always grateful that I get paid to play the harpsichord. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> well, that's the thing is that we're always. We're always stuck in that loop of like, oh, we should be thankful yes. for this gig. But at the same time, how do we value what we do so that we don't have to do shitty gigs anymore? You know what well, I mean? Like, I don't think, I mean, I think it's knowing our value enough that if we do a shitty gig, we do it knowing that we got paid enough to do it. I don't yeah. think we will ever avoid a shitty gig. I think... Any musician, I bet you even like someone like Emmanuel Axe has to play a shitty gig every once in a while. Yeah, I mean, because they're usually fundraising yeah. gigs. They're usually something that like, I remember one of my friends who is a great pianist, um, you know, same great training, blah, 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 was playing a fundraising concert on an electric piano. I've done it too. Yeah. It's just like, okay. And, you know, they don't tell you exactly. that it's an electric piano until you show up. And it's like, oh, oh, I really am a monkey now. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. I'll carry this out myself. Yeah. You know, I can I can move my piano. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, it's just knowing that whenever you do play those kind of gigs, that you still put a value on yourself that makes it worthwhile. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, Well, that's something that is hard. Yeah. yeah. It's hard for... for me i mean it's not hard just for you it's hard for everybody i think especially since we're not trained to do it yeah and and that's the thing that's the thing is that it's uncomfortable for us to talk about money because there are so many varying opinions out there there are there's there's often a bad experience with somebody balking at your fee and then there's nobody telling you what you should or should not charge so you're going to make a mistake or it's just not clear and when any when anything's not clear it's uncomfortable. It's true. Because you just don't have so- the assurance. Um, I mean, yeah. Have you have you ever had a bad experience with, like, somebody and your fee? Like, has has an uncomfortable situation ever happened with a paying customer, I guess, or a client? In all honesty... See, we don't even use those words. Yeah, I know. We don't even I use know. those words, yeah. In all honesty, no. Um, okay. Usually, my strategy is to get them to quote a number first and the reason i do that is then if they quote a number i know what their budget is in a way yeah and if that number is lower than i want Mm -hmm. it also gives me a sort of good range of how much more that i can charge that i think they can afford you know what i mean Right. See, the thing with me, and I, I think this is mostly in my head, but I, I have the fear that an ask would be offensive. Um, and, and and that's something it's kind of bred in me, I think, culturally. Yeah. Um, and and, and um, to ask for more money is just a taboo on my end. I hate. I would never think about doing it. If somebody offered me a price that was too low, I would just not do the gig. And it's a psychological thing. I think a lot of people who are in music right now do not know the value of their time and their worth. That's true. Um, that's true. And I think that's a, that's an issue. I think that we should have more standardized fees. Mm-hmm. That way that society can expect certain things and not charge too little. 
um, we it's sort of a unionization thing, right? Like it's like we should all kind of decide on what is proper for us to charge. Absolutely. Throughout the country. It shouldn't be um, like contingent on locale. It should just be this is like it's like the same thing. Like you pay a doctor what a doctor charges. You don't argue with the doctor. You don't say, oh, I mean, like if you can't pay for a doctor, um, you either get government assistance, right? Or you just don't go to the doctor. <laughs> like it's it's a difficult thing. Um but the doctor, like, they're just, they're not going to lower their fee for everybody who can't meet it because that affects the whole industry. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, orchestras do it, right? Yeah. Like hours are unionized. Um, freelancers should have a union. I don't know. Like, maybe maybe I'm just saying that because I don't quite, quite, I've never been in a union, so I don't quite know how they work. No, I mean, the sentiment is nice, but... <laughs> I don't think... I think in practice it would be yeah, hard. In yeah, in practice it would be hard. I think, though, what you're saying is that I feel like we should all be more open about money and stop stop beating yes. about the bush and stop feeling guilty about charging for what we do professionally. Because we're really the, yeah. the arts, I should say, because it's not just us. It's not just musicians, but I think it's all people in the arts... Yeah, it's everybody. ...have trouble... <laughs> putting a value on what they do, putting a monetary value on what, what what they do, what we do. And we just need to get past that. And we just need to be more honest about it. Well, I mean, there's just a couple things I wanted to say in terms of like somebody who might kind of overthink things like I do. Um, one, if somebody shoots down your price, um, I, like, and has indicated to you that you've overcharged, don't think about it too much. Don't think it's a reflection of, oh, how dare you charge so much for your services mm-hmm. kind of thing. Just accept that, oh, that's too much for them. It's what they can pay. It's not a reflection on you. <laughs> that's something that is helpful to remember. Yes. Another thing um, that would be, um, if you're worried about, like, I've been in a situation where I didn't quite know my notes for a really hard piece. And so I actually gave that person money back for the rehearsal. Don't do that. Mm. You know, like, it's just, it's, I I feel like that made things so much more awkward. It did, yeah. But I just felt so guilty about my lack of preparation. Um, He could still rehearse with me and it was still beneficial to him. Like, I just wasn't playing all the notes. So, like, don't undervalue, like, your perfectionist tendencies, don't let that get in the way of, um... The people, the, the the gigs you take, because um, as a freelancer, you're not going to have a lot of time to practice. Mm-hmm. As long as you get it ready and you don't mess them up, you don't make them worse. Exactly. Um, and you should be trusted to get it ready, because like, there's nothing worse than being the pianist that um, messes somebody up or makes them sound worse either. Um, and the last thing I kind of wanted to say is that when you're feeling like you're charging more than you're worth, keep in mind that what they're paying for is not just your time and the piece that you're playing, but also the years of training that you've put in. Um, you know, that's 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 the value of, like, just your professional experience, your education, all the hours that you put in before. It all adds up to the to your value. It's not just... Uh, Absolutely. It's not just, yeah, yeah, the effort you're putting into one game. Yeah. yeah. Because ultimately... You're worth it. <laughs> he says that with a lopsided <laughs> smile and a little flash in the corner of his teeth. Like a ding. 
What is that? I'm thinking of some commercial. I, I don't even remember. I think that's L'Oreal. Because you're yeah, worth it. Because... You know, the stupidest country. Maybe she's born with Oh, her. God. Maybe it's yeah. Maybelline. I hate that. Like, if you think about that. What what is that what does that mean? I don't know. It's like it's like the Sarah Lee catchphrase. I hate that one. It's like nobody, nobody doesn't, doesn't like Sarah like... Lee. I know. It's awful. One you should never have a double negative in That's your catchphrase. True. That's so dumb. By the way, like... I wanna show you this is I am so okay. proud of this because I made a little show notes um and I, we got to them all, which was great. And I don't know if you can see it. But the last thing I wrote was, you're worth it. I totally wanted to sum the episode up with that. Wow. I know. And you gave me the perfect time. Anyway, what are you obsessed with, Jeanette? <laughs> oh, fuck. Um, you know, I forgot we were recording today, so I didn't even think about this. <laughs> I'm obsessed with making cardboard shit. I'm still obsessed with making cardboard That's shit. That's amazing. Right now, you're I'm obsessed... Still- I know it's um I'm obsessed now with making people gifts from cardboard because I've gotten That's a few great. orders now. So ah. I made Sean a wine rack. Yep. Um, Sean, this is I your make... executive director. My boss. Yeah, Sean your boss. Um, he was my very first order. And that's the other thing. This is actually a good tie-in to what we were talking about because he asked me how much because he wanted to pay for uh-huh. it because it's an order. And I said, I don't want to charge. Like, it made me very uncomfortable to charge for, like, one of my projects because yeah. um, I didn't know what to charge for it, first of all. And also, like, I would rather give it as a gift and avoid that altogether. Like, it just, for some reason, I couldn't put a monetary value mm-hmm. on it. And uh, that, yeah, that's like a, <laughs> I don't know if I overcharge. And now I'm just making people gifts. So, like, my brother wanted a cookbook recipe, uh, cookbook stand. Yeah. Um, so I'm making him a cookbook stand and I'm going to make his daughter, my niece, um, a puzzle. I'm, I'm thinking like a 3d puzzle oh, nice. of like boxes that have different pictures on each yeah. side. So she can, she can make four different puzzles. Like, that's yeah, great. I think that. Are you, are you still making me my bookshelf? Um, you have never given me dimensions that you want. Oh, I don't know. I'm bad at that. I want to give you artistic freedom. Oh, let me... Well, you know what? Um, oh, I can't move the computer. I was going to show you the bookshelf I just made. I'll send you a picture if you want something similar to that. Okay. Then, um, Great. Yeah. Um, but I can't deliver it. No problem. So here's what I'm obsessed with, which is not as fun as what your obsession is, unfortunately. But, you know, Bob Woodward... Just wrote a new book called Fear, Trump and the White House. And uh, with my Audible subscription, which I love, um, I got the book on audio and I've been listening to it. And it's one of those listens. It's sort of like it's sort of like a car accident (laughs) that you can't look away from. You can't look away from it. (laughs) You feel so. It's just like <laughs> the curiosity of what's happening is overcoming the guilt from looking behind the curtains. At what is this? Guilt? Well, you're looking behind the curtains of what is essentially a train wreck. Things are going to hell. And it oh, seems... okay. I see. The guilt, yeah. I see the car wreck analogy yeah. now makes sense. 
I don't feel like there's guilt looking behind what's happening to our country because it's our like. Well, it's really quite disturbing. Yeah. And since Bob Woodward is a very established journalist, you know, he's uh, mm-hmm. he and Carl Bernstein, you know, exposed the whole Nixon scandal. We know, I, I we know that he's probably done a really good job of sourcing all of this stuff, and it's quite en- enlightening. <laughs> so, if you want like a perpetual headache, and if you want to feel like what it feels like to be the parent of a three-year-old who looks like Donald Trump, I highly recommend that you either listen or read Fear by Bob Woodward. Anyway, cool. thanks so much for listening. This is Francis. And this is Jeanette. Thanks so much for listening. Check us out on our Facebook page um, or visit our website at... SoManyWrongNotes.com And we are now on Stitcher. So you can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Um, and you can check out our complete listing of episodes on our website. Yes. And if you feel so inclined and you like us, please leave us a review. We love hearing from you guys.